Good morning. It is so good to see you this morning. Familiar faces, good to see you this morning. Those who have been with us for a while, great to see you this morning. Those at home that we haven't seen yet, we're looking forward to it whenever that day comes. Now, folks at home, I want to give you a warning. I've been told that the images that the folks here in person can see on the screen, we're having some technical difficulties. You won't be able to see them. So when I show a couple of images, I'm going to try to describe what's going on for those of you at home. And those of you who are here are like, yeah, we can see it. You don't have to describe it. That's why I'm doing it. So we've We've had some problems for, I don't know, six, nine months where every Sunday we show up in our AV team, it's like Russian roulette. We don't know what's working and what isn't, and we're, we're testing some things out. We're seeing if we can get it fixed. We're getting some estimates in, trying to do what we can. We've been piecemealing this whole time. So just know we're, we're doing our best. We're going we're gonna to get there, but folks at home, uh, bear with us if I talk about something and you're not seeing it. I'll, I'll try to describe it to you. Let me tell you before I jump in to the, the text and we have our reader come up this morning. Uh, as I was walking in to the building this morning, I saw Kent and Johnny Westbrook and Johnny admitted that she's hadn't felt the greatest the last couple of days. So she was, she was working at it to make it here this morning. And she, uh, she let me know. She said, so this sermon better be a good one. <laughs> and I'll be honest, you people dodged a bullet because I had every intention to lay an egg this morning when I came up. And then when Johnny said that, I was like, I mean, I guess I, guess I got to do my best. I got I to gotta throw something out there. So Johnny, thank you. On behalf of everyone, on my behalf, I needed that pep talk to jump up and, uh, and do my part this morning. Okay, so I mentioned last week we have quite a few graduating seniors, and I have asked, I'm asking every week until hopefully we can get them all in before they head off to college to come up and read Scripture for us. And this morning, Sophie Lair, valedictorian Sophie Lair, is going to come and read for us from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, open up. You're going to see that on the screen behind us, except you people at home. Crack open your Bible. Tap that app. Get that thing ready. So Ephesians 4, come on up, Sophie. We're going to start in verse 1 if you're looking for that. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Sophie. I know some of you weren't around, but I'm curious for those of you who lived in this part of central Arkansas... If the date April 27, 2014 means anything to you. Some of you are like, eh, I don't know, should it mean anything to you? Well, for a little while, several days in advance, forecasts had laid out that there was going to be some severe weather that rolled through. Severe storms. And as those things happened as we got closer and on the day of, then it moved from severe storms 
to tornado watch. And you may remember the watch means conditions are right for a tornado. A warning is when a tornado has been spotted, and the watch moved to a warning out in West Little Rock and beyond that evening. And then a tornado touched down in Perrin, and it started moving its way northeast, and it crossed Highway 10, and it crossed Lake Maumel, and you may remember it touched down in Mayflower, and then it kept heading toward Bologna. And that summer, I drove out Highway 10 several times, and I actually drove Interstate 40 to Conway multiple times because Paige was in a play. And if you drove either of those ways, then you would notice something as you drove down those roads where the tornadoes touched down. You would drive, and everything looked normal. All the trees were there. All the usual buildings were there. And then all of the sudden, you would get to a stretch that was about, I'm guessing, a half mile wide. And I saw this countless times on Interstate 40. And where all the trees had been, there was nothing but debris. And where all the buildings had been, there was nothing but debris. But as you do on a highway, you keep going. And within a split second, the trees were back. And the buildings were back. And it was just this line that cut its way through central Arkansas. Now, I found a photo in Mayflower from that night that I want to show you. And folks at home, I'll describe to you. So the first image, you see a neighborhood that is devastated. Houses are flattened, and there's several streets of houses, and I zoomed in a little bit, that are flattened. But I want to show the next picture for those who are here. Those of you who are at home, if you saw this image, you would see that on one side of the street, on the bottom half of the picture, the houses are leveled. They're destroyed. And on the other side of the street, at least from the image, they look perfectly intact. Now, maybe they received a little damage. I don't know. But it is phenomenal to see the difference that one street makes. Same storm, same neighborhood, same tornado. Now, I guarantee you, if you ask, if you talk with those families on both sides of that street after that tornado ripped through, they would say it was a traumatic experience. I'm guessing kids and adults alike who survived would talk about nightmares that lasted for weeks and months. And they would talk about all the ways that they had to pick up the pieces of their life in the midst of the devastation. And yet, for all the ways they're similar, don't you imagine that those who ha whose houses were still intact had some different experiences than those just across the street whose houses were completely leveled? And if you 
widen that out just a little bit. You talk with people a mile north or a mile south or two miles north and two miles south, they would have heard the sirens go off in that area. And they would have gone to some interior windowless room in their house to try to ride it out safely and watch the news or listen to the news or watch an app, and they're all waiting. But when it's done, and those people a mile or two from where the tornado touched down, when they get the all clear and they go look out their windows, what do they see? They see a wet lawn and driveway. They maybe see some leaves on the ground, a few branches that are down. But they don't see everything around them destroyed. They don't look across the street and see where neighbors had once been and those houses are gone. Same storm, same area, same uh, response when the sirens go off. And yet there is a much different experience. So we started a new series last week I called After the Storm. And the reason is this. I talked about how I think in many ways what we've gone through the last 15 months feels like we've been riding out a storm. And we've been going through it as a community, and we've been going through it as a country, and we look around and we're going through it as, as the world. And yet our experiences have a lot of overlap and a lot of difference at the same time. The storm seems to be getting better, subsiding here, and you look at images from India and, and funeral pyres all over the place because they don't have another way to deal with all the dead. And you start to realize you can go through the same things, have a lot of overlap, and young, yet come out very different places. A couple of months ago, Paige and I happened to be in Hot Springs. And we decided to work our way over to TJ, Ma TJ Maxx because there is an unwritten Reynolds rule. Wherever there is a TJ Maxx near, we, we have to, for some reason, find our way into it. So this was while the statewide mask mandate was still going on, and we work our way into TJ Maxx, uh, Max, and we're wearing our mask, and we see the sign on the door, and we walk in, and it is packed because everyone is looking for clearance polos and tees apparently that day. We're all there for name brands at discount prices. But we look around, and we were in the extreme minority. Hot Springs very different from Little Rock. And people looked at us, the mask wearers that day, and we were like aliens, not just from another county, but from another planet. Did you guys not get the memo? A few days later, we're back in Little Rock, and we, we head back, can you guess, to TJ Maxx. Because we, we got to cover them all got to cover them all. And there's always new product coming in, so you got you to go back. So we're in TJ Maxx in Little Rock, and we, we wear the mask. The mandate's still going. It's on the, it's on the doors. And we walk in there. Almost everyone has a mask, except for a few. And those who aren't, now they're the ones who are looked at like the aliens. 
like something's off, like something's wrong. It's, it's the same pandemic, and we're living in the same state, and there's same guidelines, but different communities and different convictions, different understandings of what's going on. It was also a few months back, it was on a Sunday morning at church, and I had conversations with two different people, and they were very different kinds of conversations. So I had a conversation with one person who was very concerned about all the small businesses that were struggling. I totally get that. I've got that concern. And concern about the economy, and I totally get that. I've got that concern. And so this person expressed frustration that maybe our nation had overreacted a little bit to the response. And then later, that same morning, I had a conversation with someone whose parents had been previously healthy up to this point, but both went to the hospital, and one for a very extended stay. One who'd always been strong, but finally got out of the hospital, but could not kick this disease and the, and the after effect, one of those long haulers that maybe you've read about or heard about. And so they were still on oxygen and still didn't have any energy and still couldn't go back to work for a long time because they just couldn't get there. Two people, and, and we came together for the same reason. We gathered for the same purpose. We, we lift up the same Lord. We live under the same banner of love and grace and mercy, but, but coming from very different places, informed by very different experiences and different convictions. Every Sunday, we gather and we bring those overlapping hopes and fears. But it doesn't take long to talk with other people and realize we also bring divergent perspectives and different priorities and different political leanings. We come with similar struggles and different struggles, similar concerns and different concerns. And every Sunday, we don't just gather with people like that. We go out and we go to the grocery store. We, we go to restaurants or we go to the office or we go to the ball field or the golf course or the gym. And we are seeing people that have similar struggles, overlapping concerns, a desire, a hope for a better world. But what do we also encounter? People who are coming from very different places, with very different experiences and expectations of where they think things should go and how we get there. So I want to look back at the verses that Sophie read for us this morning. And in particular, I want, to, I want to start with the last three verses that make up this beautiful passage about the oneness of God and God's connection with creation. And in many ways, this passage, in my opinion, expands on an idea that faithful Jews recited every day, every morning when they woke up. 
and did it for uh, hundreds, more than a thousand years before Christ showed up on the scene. They would recite the Shema. Listen, Israel, hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And a lot of scholars, when they look at this passage, they think this may have been something that early Christians memorized. They said together, maybe they sang it together, celebrating the unity and singularity of God in a pluralistic world. One Lord, one God, one Father of all. But what Paul does is he also taps into the unity and connection of all that God has made. That is not a divided creation or a divided cosmos, but the God who is over all, the transcendent one, is also through all and in all, the eminent one, the one who is close the one who knits it all together. And the divine image of God is implanted on all people. And all creation breathes the life of God. So that part of the picture we see in Scripture is that sin is missing the mark of that unified design. For all the times when we surrender to party division or hierarchical distinction or social or racial or economic or gender or educational disunity or national and ethnic discord. And Paul reminds us that God's design for the world and God's desire still for all creation is connection. It's cohesion. And what's more, he says, as Jesus followers, we're supposed to be the ones who are all in on that. That we sign up to that, we commit to that, that unifying vision. That one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism. That the church's job has never been to hide away from the world but to help the world see the possibility of how God designed it to be in the first place. And to highlight what a new kind of world, what a new kind of humanity can look like when we come together despite all the things that separate us. Despite all the ways that we are different. And so the crescendo of this passage is the oneness. 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 God is one. And we are united into oneness. But when you take a step back from those great verses in 4 through 6, then you start to see that the reason Paul leans so strongly into this idea is because he is writing to churches who've signed up for the oneness, but are very diverse and are struggling with division. Unity has never meant that it erases diversity. 
not in the church, and certainly not in the world. So I'm wondering if you're familiar with the basic Venn diagram. Now, those of you at home, this is a time when folks here are seeing an image and you're going to have to imagine, and hopefully I can describe it to you. A Venn diagram is pretty simple, at least a basic simple Venn diagram. So what's on the screen is two circles, a yellow circle and a blue circle. But it's a Venn diagram when those circles are overlapping. And you can think of those two different circles in a lot of different ways. And a Venn diagram can have more than two circles, but we're keeping it simple. You can think of the yellow and the blue as two different people, or you can think of it as two different people groups. And within those different colors, within the different circles, are different experiences, different hopes, different fears, different expectations. It may be different cultures, different nationalities, different uh, economic level or education level. And there can be all sorts of things that show up in those different circles. But where they overlap, that's where there's common ground. That's where there's commonality. That's where there is maybe shared experience or shared hope or shared dreams or shared purposes, shared beliefs. It's in those places of overlap. And on our picture, yellow and blue come together in those places they make green. Yet you can envision this at home. Very sophisticated color system that I've come up here with. In those places of overlap, in those places of of common ground, that's where we can come together despite all the things that make us different. Those are the places, in those places of overlap, where we cultivate empathy for the other. Those are those places where mediators will sit down with couples who are struggling or companies that are struggling or countries that are struggling. And they'll acknowledge, hey, you've got a lot of difference here and you've got a lot of difference there, but maybe we can find some common ground and maybe we can focus on a common problem instead of identifying you as the problem or you as the problem. Maybe we can come together in our places of overlap and say, what's some shared dreams that we have? Some shared struggles that we have? How can we come side by side to address those places of overlap? So when you imagine these images, then common doesn't mean you eliminate the difference. It doesn't mean you dishonor someone else's difference or diminish them or dismiss their experiences because you didn't have it. Well, my house wasn't wiped out, so I'm I'm not going to bother understanding what it was like when yours was. We find ways to recognize the difference, to respect the difference, sometimes even celebrate those differences because of what we have in common. So we highlighted the oneness we see in verses 4 through 6. One God, one Father, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We celebrated that oneness. But unity is highlighted by Paul because Paul spends so much time in the opening chapters of Ephesians 
helping them sort through their differences and their diversity. And there's a lot of difference and diversity that Paul is addressing. And he doesn't dismiss it and he doesn't diminish it. He just describes what's going on. So you may remember at the beginning of chapter 2, these are the great 10 verses where Paul talks about all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all saved not because of who we are, we can't boast about it, but because of God's grace and mercy. But then he shifts the story in verse 11 to describe how it wasn't just, there wasn't just a difference, a barrier that separated us and God, but there are barriers that separate us from others. And in particular, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he uses a description there where he talks about this gap, this wall that separated them. And he calls it a dividing wall of hostility. And if you're at home, I'm showing those same circles, the yellow and the blue. But this time, there is a strong line between them. And Paul talks about a lot of groups that struggle to get together. But this time, he's really leaning in on this discussion of Jews and Gentiles because it hung over the church in almost every one of his letters. But what did Jesus come to do? Well, it's not just the beginning of chapter 2 where he takes away the dividing wall between us and God. It's the end of chapter 2 where Christ demolishes the wall that divides the hostility between groups. Christ is the peace bringer and the bridge builder. Jesus brings us together despite all the things that make us different. One humanity out of many. And in many ways, you see what happens at Pentecost and what happens at the end of Revelation is what Isaiah talked about would happen. It is a reverse of Babel. Instead of everyone scattered by languages, what do we see in Scripture? Every tribe and every tongue comes together, united around God. And that's where the story is ultimately taking us. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, rich or poor, old or young, oneness. 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 One Lord, one God. One vision for the world, meaning one hope, one faith, one baptism. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Okay, I lost like everyone under 45 on that song. It's a beautiful idea. Before Coke brings us together, We've got this image of a beautiful Christ who brings us together, who tears down the walls that separate and keep us apart. We are united in God's oneness, but that doesn't erase the diversity. There will still be the diversity. There is still Jew and Gentile. It just doesn't have to separate anymore. And you read through other letters of Paul and you'll see Jews are still going to act like Jews. And Gentiles in many ways are still going to act like Gentiles. 
They're going to land on some different places. They're going to they're come to some different conclusions, and that isn't a bad thing. In fact, Paul goes on after these verses, and he says there is some diversity and difference that God bakes into the church. You're going to have your gifts, and I'm going to have mine, and you're going to have your gifts, and I'm going to have mine, and they don't have to be the same gifts to all be important because God is going to bring together this mosaic of gifts to build up the church and lift up its mission in the world. And there's going to be different callings within the church, he says. And some are going to do this, and some are going to do that, and some are going to do this, and some are going to do that. But just because your calling is different doesn't mean it's less, and just because your calling is different, it doesn't mean it's greater. It's just different. We're all called still to come together in that place of overlap in that place of connection and common ground and unity. Which brings us to the first three verses of chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord. That's how Paul starts out. It's like, just in case you forgot, I have gone all in on God's vision of a new kind of people in a new kind of world made possible through Christ. I'm willing to suffer and be imprisoned for it. So let me encourage you to go all in as well as a prisoner for the Lord, therefore. In light of everything Christ has done, in light of everything He is doing, in light of everything He will do, in light of everything Paul's saying I talked about in the first three chapters, therefore, live a life worthy of this big calling to be a new kind of person as a part of a new kind of community in God's renewed world. Live a life worthy of this vision of what we can be. There's a story, maybe you've heard it before, about Alexander the Great and I couldn't find online whether it's true or apocryphal. It sounds maybe a little too good to be true, but maybe it's true. Either way, here's the story. Alexander the Great was wandering through a camp of soldiers, and he wandered upon one particular soldier who was supposed to be on watch but had fallen asleep. And so he immediately wakes him up, and he demands, what is your name? And the soldier says to Alexander the Great, well, my name is Alexander. To which Alexander the Great reportedly said, either change your name or change your conduct. Live a life worthy of this name that we've taken on in our one baptism. You're not going to be perfect. We've already established that in chapter 2. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God is raising us up to live into this new life, in this new kind of connection, in this new kind of community, and help usher in this new kind of world. We don't keep building the walls that separate us from others because we follow one who's taking them down. 
And so he says in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We find common ground everywhere we can. We don't just wait for it. We look for it. We cultivate it. We help create it in our midst, those shared experiences, the shared hope, the shared purposes. And with people at church, we have all of these places of overlap. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But even as we go out, we can still find those places of commonality. One humanity. It doesn't depend on the other person to believe what we believe or how we believe, to still see in them the divine image of God. It doesn't matter what they think. What matters is what God has done. And God has made all people in His image. And it doesn't matter how we treat them, whether they align where we are or not, because we follow a God who is over all and through all and in all and is looking to bring it all back together. So we do what we're called to do, to live in a worthy way under the name of Jesus, regardless of whether we think others are doing the same or not. We find common ground. We seek unity. We remember that unity has never required uniformity. Coming together around a common purpose doesn't mean that we won't have very different perspectives. And we won't be coming together from very different places, informed by very different life experiences over the last year, over the last decade, over the course of our lives. Unity does not erase diversity. In many ways, it embraces it because there is still Jew, Gentile, and yet we can come together as one. There are still all the ways we are different, and yet we can still unite under one Lord, in one faith, in one baptism. So how do we get there? If only Paul had thrown out some suggestions. Well, there is one, at least. Be completely humble in all those places of difference. Be gentle in all those places of diversity. Be patient in all those places where we might naturally divide. Bear with one another in love. That's how we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace 
in a very diverse world.